God is good. Always. Great song. Turn, if you win your Bibles, to Colossians chapter 1. I know it seems like forever since we've been back in the book of Colossians, but tonight, Colossians chapter 1, and it will be in verse 9 through 11. 9 through 11. Before we read, I want to kind of review, since it's been a while, and remind you of a few things of the previous verses and of the book. Of course, this book was written by Paul, and he is writing to the church at Colossae. This is a church he did not start. He did not start, uh, but we know Epaphras is the pastor there. Probably Epaphras started it, was in his home. There's some, again, other things we'll cover as we continue to go forward. But Paul is writing this church at Colossae. And writing the church, he is reaffirming to them the preeminence of Jesus Christ. The preeminence of Jesus Christ. And that Christ excels above all other persons and beliefs. So, there was a problem in this church. And so Paul's addressing the problem. He's addressing these Gnostics who had crept in to that church, who were primarily teaching and preaching admixture. In other words, they were saying, well, it's Jesus plus this, or it's Jesus plus that. Uh, they loved uh, the words knowledge, or they loved the words mystery. Uh, they, they taught that you could have a special power, you could have a special, you know, a special this from, from God. Um, I'm talking about you could have your own special uh, power from God. Uh, they made it mystical, they made it very, in other words, they were just mixing religions together. That you could have something that somebody else couldn't have from the Lord. No, no, it's, it's, it's available to all of us. Hello? His power is available to all of us. His feelings are available to all of us. And so they were mixing the, this together. And so they would say, well, yeah, it's Jesus Christ, but, I'm just saying here, but Buddhism's okay too, or Islam's okay too. It was just kind of just mixed together. Can I remind you tonight that Christianity is Christ? Again, that Christ excels above all of the persons and beliefs. And it is Christ who is our example. It is Christ who gives us power to follow his example. I, I'm not just given what, and, what to do and what not to do as a Christian in the Bible. I'm not just given how to live in the Bible, but I'm given the power to live. Isn't that amazing? I don't, I don't have to do and I cannot do and I cannot live the Christian life on my own. It's Christ Jesus. Uh, through the Spirit who empowers us, who strengthens us to follow in His steps, to follow in the steps of Jesus. In the first three verses, Paul and Timothy, we see their example, their testimony of care uh, to the saints. In verses 4 through 6, by the way, we ought to care for each other, love each other. In verses 4 through 6, Paul's gratitude. He was thankful for the testimony of this church in Colossae. He was thankful of their faith, their hope, and their love. And I love, the verse says, to all the saints. Well, the only way you can love all the saints is it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some people, if without the Lord, it's, they're, they're not very lovable. It's supernatural. He was just saying, he sees and has heard of the testimony of this church and that God is working in them. God is working through them. In faith, in their faith and in their hope and in their love. We'll put it this way, that we see again of Paul's care and his 
just his, his, the testimony of their faith, hope, and love of the church in Colossae that serves each other in love faithfully. They served each other in love faithfully. And he was excited, maybe where to put it, about their testimony. All right, let's read the verse. Verses. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 9. For this cause, what does that mean? Well, because of the testimony of their faith in Christ, because of the testimony of the, their faith in Christ, of this church, to their love for all the saints, Paul says, I will do this. I am doing this. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Let's pray again. Lord, we do pray that you would bless the reading of your word. May we see tonight uh, more than ever, Lord, that you do strengthen us for the good work. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul again testifies and says, because of your love, because of your faith, because of your hope, because of the testimony that we pray for you, that we desire for you. Notice it says we and not, it's not just saying Paul did this, but apparently uh, when Paul, Paul's writing this from prison, by the way, so he's chained to a Roman guard and apparently they're having a prayer meeting every day. He was allowed visitors. He says, we pray for you. Did you notice that? Can you imagine that Roman guard in that prayer meeting? Our multiple prayer meetings as Paul prays for them. Can I just point out here that here's Paul in prison. He can't go out and preach. He can't travel to Philippi and preach. He, he's limited in what he can do. And in being limited in what he could do, guess what he did? He did what he could do. The most important thing he could do. And he had a very, very long prayer list. And he prayed for them. You think if Paul said, I pray for you, that he really did that? Absolutely. Can I just remind you that everybody can pray? Everyone can pray. Everyone can. So his prayer, we pray, or he says, for, and we desire. It wasn't just praying for them, but he desired for this to happen, for this to, to, to happen in their lives. All right, so let's look at this. Verse 9, what was he desiring? What was he praying for them? Number one, we see spiritual, he prayed for them to have spiritual enlightenment, that their spiritual eyes would be opened. He says that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. As we think about Paul's prayers that are recorded in the Bible, here's one of Paul's prayers. We, we see it again in Ephesians, uh, Paul's prayer in, in chapter 3, and we've covered that one, and we've, we've covered several of Paul's prayers. Every time we see Paul pray, we, we find that when he prays, he never prays that he be released from prison. It's not recorded in the Bible. He never prays for financial support. He never prays for his health. We know he had a health problem, but he never prays, uh, he never asked for prayer from them for his health. He never, he never prays for himself. He never prays for himself. He prays for others. Amen? This is selfless Paul. Praying for others. He prayed that their knowledge of God's will, that they would 
have the knowledge of God's will. Again, we think about the knowledge, look at there again, it says that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will, of God's will. He said, I pray that you'd have, you'd know God's will. Can I tell you, in knowing God's will, there is a general knowledge of God's will and a personal will. There's a general will and a personal will. Underneath the general will, is, that is that God wills for everyone to fill in the blank. All right, so in other words, God will, God's will is that you do not kill somebody, that you do not murder somebody. We know that's wrong. God's will, and you just can go through it. The, the do's and the don'ts in the Bible, God's will is for Christians to tell others of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is God's will. In other words, I don't have to ask if it's God's will if I share the gospel with somebody. That's God's general will for every Christian. 95% of your life, 95% of my life is laid out for me in the Bible. There's only a very small portion in my life that's not laid out for me in the Bible where I have to discern and pray that God give me wisdom and that he enlighten me, that I understand and give wisdom in making a decision. There's very few of those in life. Very few. And that's what he's praying. He's praying for God to give them knowledge of his will. And again, if you dig deep in the Word of God, that's what he's saying for them to do. You dig deep in the Word of God, you read your Bible daily, you, you, you walk with God, you, you grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the general will will come into place. You, you'll learn more and more about the general will of God. And then God's specific will, His personal will, will grow easier and easier to discern. The more you know the Bible, the more you know more about Jesus Christ, the more you grow in the knowledge of the Word of God and of Jesus Christ, the easier God's personal will for your life will be to discern. Everybody with me? Amen? That's it. We grow in His knowledge, and then again, God's personal will is, becomes easier to understand. And then it says, in all wisdom, that you be Filled with knowledge of his will in all wisdom. In all wisdom. In all wisdom. And spiritual understanding. What is this? What's wisdom and spiritual understanding? It's the skill and right application of knowledge. You can have knowledge without wisdom. All right, so what is wisdom? And there's various, more definitions than this, but here it's alluding to wisdom is the ability to apply the knowledge. So you you've, may have witnessed somebody and know somebody who knows a lot, maybe they've memorized the encyclopedia, but they can't apply anything. They, and I would, I would say it this way, there are a lot of smart people who have no common sense. They don't know how to apply the knowledge that they, that they have. They don't know how to discern uh, in, in making decisions of right and wrong or discern into other decisions, just common sense decisions. I have met many people that way. I want to mention a few, but I won't do it. Um, I, I've met Christians who, who have read a lot and studied the Bible and have read commentaries and, and have studied the Word of God and have done so much that with that knowledge, they have become prideful. Knowledge puffeth up. They have become Dead Sea Christians. Right? So the Jordan River comes down and comes to the Sea of Galilee, that lake there, and then comes on down into the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea has no outlet. And the water just sits there, and the minerals sink to the bottom of it. 
And it, 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 fish can't live in that. It's stagnant. It's, uh, it's, you can't have life there because nothing's flowing out of it. A Christian who just retains and learns and retains and learns and never applies it becomes a Dead Sea Christian. Stagnant, carnal, all those things. Years ago, I, I uh, met a particular man who we got into church, and then that particular man began to study and study and study, and I was thankful for that and got to um, teach him, disciple him, all those things. But there came a point in time where he began to just learn so much and yet not apply. In fact, he began to just kind of parse the Bible. I mean, he, 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 he was concerned with the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. I mean, and there was other questions like that he had where you couldn't, there was really, it didn't matter the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. I'll say that publicly. It didn't matter. And there's many other things like that. And I watched him as he grew, as he grew but there was no application and you can come to Sunday school, and you can come to church, and, and, and you can come to the institute, and you can do all those things, but you're a Dead Sea Christian if you're not applying it, if you're not living it. We've got a lot of Dead Sea Christians in this life, in this world. So, again, here is he's praying for them to have wisdom and spiritual understanding, spiritual understanding. He's praying that they have discernment. He wanted them to have wisdom and making decisions and, and living to please the Lord. That's what it does. We, we gain knowledge of the Bible and we gain knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in order that we might serve Him and live for Him. He's praying for their spiritual enlightenment. Can I just say that growing in the will of God, growing in the will of God is attained by knowing God more by reading your Bible. So not only did he pray for them to have spiritual enlightenment, but he prayed for their walk, verse 10. And this follows the outline of so many other prayers, and not just his prayers, but many other prayers in the Bible, and many lives, like the life of Enoch, where we see Enoch's worship, then we see Enoch's walk with God, and then we see Enoch serving God. In the book of Jude, we see he preached, and he preached about God's, the, the Lord's return. I'm just telling you, it, it's just the, the sequence. When you worship God, when you, when you contemplate Him, you gain knowledge of Him, when you grow in the knowledge of Him, and you're walking with the Lord daily, it produces fruit, and that fruit is service. Service. And that's what we see in this prayer, really. The th it's a three-point outline. Walking with the Lord. So he prayed for their walk. True spiritual wisdom must affect our daily life. It's kind of along the same lines as what I've been saying. True spiritual wisdom will affect our daily life. It will come out. He said for them to walk worthy. Again, we, we find this almost same thought in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul says, walk worthy of your calling. Every step, every step we take in life, we ought to walk worthy Every step we take in life, we ought to practically live out the Bible. Every step we take, every, every walk we, we walk, we should be following in the footsteps of Jesus. 
It says there, he says to them, that you might walk with the word of the Lord unto all pleasing. In other words, meeting all of God's wishes. Master, what do you want me to do? How can I please you? Pleasing Him. And we as Christians ought to walk worthy. We ought to walk pleasing the Lord. And therefore, again, God works in us before He can work through us, before He can do the work, uh, that we can do the work. In other words, God always works from the inside out. We worship, we gain in our knowledge of God, we grow in the Lord, and then we serve Him. There are many who got the service and maybe doing the service, but they're not doing the other. And it's just outward conformity rather than inward. And it will show up at some point. You can only serve so long outwardly without taking care of this, the behind-the-stage stuff. It's like the oak tree, again, that's rotten on the inside, looks pretty on the outside. We have one of those out in front, in front of church. You know, looks pretty good on the outside, but on the inside, eventually that, that oak tree will fall. God works in us and through us. D.L. Moody said this, every Bible, I love this, every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. Yeah. You gain the knowledge, you grow in the Lord, and you put shoes to it. You put shoes to it. Serving Him, walking with Him. And then he says, not only in, um, grow, in all pleasing, but being fruitful in every good work. Being fruitful in every good work. Fruitful. We think, when we think about fruitful, we think of, again, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, Galatians 5.22. We also think of John 15, where uh, Jesus compares, again, himself to the vine. We are the branches. We gain our sustenance from the, from the vine. It is the, it is the vine who gives us um, strength, and therefore we are to produce fruit. And I, I, Again, the fruit of character and the fruit of service. The fruit of character that I exhibit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness. Hello? That's what's produced in my life as I walk with the Lord. And Paul's praying for them that they would exhibit the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, that they would abide in the vine. He's praying for them. We ought to be fruitful Christians. Acts 10, 38, it's said about Jesus that he went about doing good. Man, you think about the servant of servants, Jesus Christ. He went about doing good. As Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, says we as Christians ought to do good unto others, especially those of the household of faith. The greatest possible good you can do for someone is give them the gospel. But it also doesn't exempt you from helping your neighbor physically as well and being, and, and, and being kind and, and helpful uh, in, a, in, a, in a material way or in a tangible way with your coworker or with an aunt or an uncle or so forth and so on. That we exhibit for others the life of Christ. That we walk in His steps. Being selfless and aiding others. And then he says, growing or increasing in the knowledge of God. And we know that we, we've preached this a lot, but as Christians, we ought to be growing in the Lord. We ought to be growing in the Lord. Isn't it amazing that God wants us to know Him? Isn't it amazing that God wants us to know Him? It's amazing. Think about it for a moment. The President of the United States... <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. The President of the United States 
has never invited me to his house. The President of the United States has never written me a letter. But God has. Amen? Man, put it in perspective. The God of the universe, the God who made the sun, moon, and stars, the God who made all things, wrote us a letter. Wants us to know him. What a mighty God we serve. What a wonderful God. And then we see in verse 11, not only does he pray for their enlightenment spiritually and their walk with the Lord, they walk worthy, but then he says, guess what? That you be strengthened with all might according to his, God's glorious power. Not just his power, but his glorious power. Unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. With the knowledge of the Lord and, the, and, and as you walk with God, God will strengthen you. A product of growing in our knowledge of the Lord and walking daily with the Lord is strength. Enablement, that grace that we need in our hour of need. He strengthens us. All of God's resources are available. I'm telling you. The reason why he uses, Paul uses uh, several different ways, but he talks about when we get saved, when we accept Christ as our Savior, when we're rescued, that we become newborn babes. Right? That's the illustration that gives for us that just as a baby needs milk, uh, so do we as Christians need milk when we first get saved. We need, we need to be taught. We need to be discipled. And, and then the process of becoming a toddler as a Christian, and the process of becoming a teenager, and the process of becoming a young adult, and a process of growing sanctification, growing in the Lord, is illustrated for us by way of the physical and how a baby and how a toddler and how a teenager, and as we grow physically, so we grow spiritually. Is that not the way Paul illustrates it for us, right? But he doesn't just illustrate it for that. He also says that we've been adopted. We've been adopted into the family of God. When he uses that illustration, he's reminding us that in Ephesians, he uses it in a couple other places, but mainly Ephesians, he says we've been adopted to the family of God, but we've been adopted to the family of God as adults. And by this illustration and by this analogy, we understand as Christians that when we get saved, we receive all all the things that we need we receive all the tools that we need in order to live out the christian life and please the lord you say well a baby doesn't have this and a toddler doesn't no no he illustrates it and and again and, and gives us the analogy that we're adults we're adults we have everything in our tool belt every tool that we need as a christian is available to us the moment we're saved the moment we're saved. Here, he says that he will strengthen us. He will strengthen us. I'm telling you, uh, if he, we know Philippians 4.13, I can do all things, what? Through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It's, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, and by way of the Holy Spirit, that strengthens us. Strengthen us. When you need emotional strength, he gives it. When you need mental strength, he gives it. When you need strength morally, he will give it to you. When you need strength uh, spiritually, he'll give it to you. By the way, his glorious. That means unlimited. Unlimited. You realize God has unlimited power. Infinite. And God strengthens us. 
we ought to yield to him. He strengthens us for the work. He strengthens us for the life. The purpose of his strength. He gives you three purposes here. The purpose for that strength is that we be patient and long-suffering and have joy, joyfulness. Let's look at these real quick. Patience. Somebody has said that patience is the ability to keep your motor in idle when you feel like stripping the gears. Young people won't get that because they don't know about, they don't know how to drive a standard. We were down in Mexico this last time, and usually if I rent a car in Mexico, I rent a standard because it's cheaper, and their little cars that they rent out have no power if you get an automatic. But you get that standard, you can wrap that thing up, the RPMs, it's not my car. Get that car moving. This time we went down there and they gave us an automatic. But the car ran pretty good. But patience is the ability to keep your motor idling when you feel like stripping the gears. In other words, it's self-restraint. Self-restraint. It's enduring, it's enduring um, uh, circumstances. It's enduring difficult circumstances. It's endurance in its action. It's not sitting on a porch in a rocking chair. That's not patience. Patience is, enduring the circumstances I am, though they may be difficult, that I stay in the battle, hello, that I stay in the battle, that I, that I, that I stay in the race, even though I'm tired and, and hungry and thirsty, <laughs> maybe I fell a time or two, but I've stayed in the race. Endure hardness as a good soldier, amen? Let's look at a um, familiar passage because we spent a lot of time in it last year. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. What's that word patience mean? It means endurance. Endure. Run with endurance. It's, it's a long race. It's a long race, and God will give you patience to run that race. God will give you patience to press on in the battle. Somebody has said this, it's always too soon to quit. It's always too soon to quit. So many people quit just when they're about to have success. It's, it's always soon, too soon to quit. quit. Don't surrender. Don't turn back. Press on. Spurgeon's, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, he said, By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. I like that one. By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Somebody didn't pour salt on it. Then we see, he says, and long-suffering. Long-suffering is, again, self-restraint. And I, I've said that a while ago for patience. Patience is endurance. Long-suffering is a little different, almost the same. Self-restraint. So long-suffering is the opposite of revenge. Patience has to deal with circumstances that we ought to be patient in our, patient in our circumstances. Long-suffering is being patient with people. Be long-suffering with people. How, how many of us all could use a little long-suffering, right? All of us. You want long-suffering? Grow in your knowledge of the Lord. You want long-suffering? You want to be able to, again, um, be kind to people even though you want to, you know, revenge or whatever the case is? Walk with the Lord. 
He'll give you long-suffering. It's one of the, again, it's part of that fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is given by God. That supernatural love, that long-suffering, and again, gentleness and meekness and faith, all those things. We need to be long-suffering. The illustration, or the greatest uh, illustration of that is in the Old Testament, Job. Remember the long-suffering, the patience of Job. James chapter 5. And then lastly, joyfulness. He's praying that they would have joyful patience. He's praying that they would have joyful long-suffering. He said, well, I was patient with them, but were you, were you joyful about it? Hello? Oh, I was, I was long-suffering with them. No, but were you joyful about it? Well, I was patient in that circumstance or this circumstance, this difficulty or this detour, but were you happy about it? Not, happy is not exactly the right word, but were you joyful about it? So he's praying that even in those circumstances, when they exhibit patience, and even when they're dealing with people and they exhibit long-suffering, that they would have the joy and contentment as well as a part of that. He desired that they would have that. Only God working in us can we experience joy in the midst of the battle. It's only through God's working in our life and we can experience joy in difficult circumstances. It's only by God working in us that we can experience joy with difficult people and dealing with difficult people. Joy. Every Christian ought to experience joy and we ought to experience it every day. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Paul prayed, he desired that they have the knowledge of the Lord and grow in their knowledge of Him, that walk with Him, and therefore God would produce strength in their life. I want you to see something else here that you see the, rep, the rep, repeating of the word all, the repeating of the word might, but one of the other little words you see repeated is be, be, or being. And as you read through the scripture, it's really inferred that he's saying that ye be strengthened. Even though it may not be written there, but it's being strengthened. Being strengthened, that it's continually, continually being strengthened. That you be. Being should take precedent over doing. Listen to this now. Being should take precedence over doing. If you are what you ought to be, you will do what you ought to do. Again, there are those who may do what they know to do, but if you're doing those things simply because that's what you know to do, but it's not, what you, it's not really who you are. In other words, it's not who, I'm going to say it this way, it's not who you be, then eventually you will crash. In other words, as Christians and as born-again believers, we need to take care of the stuff behind the stage. And so we're, we're out in front of the stage and we're living life and, and walking amongst our, our friends and neighbors and colleagues and whatever. Mm, that backstage better be where, and we better be where we need to be with the Lord in order for that life that we live in front of people to continue to be what it ought to be. We ought to be. And that being will affect what we do.
What a prayer we see here by Paul. What a desire we see here by Paul. Somebody, uh, again, one, one of the, a person put it this way. He said, the foundation of a good life is a clear understanding of God's will. The foundation of a good life is a clear understanding. We, we learn that general understanding of God's will in our life by reading the Bible, by praying. We walk with the Lord, developing a relationship with Him. He desires that from us. And therefore, God produces strength in our life as we handle circumstances, as we handle people. And not only can we handle circumstances and handle people, He gives us strength to do that, but we can do it with joy. He gives us joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. And Paul desired that they would experience that. I desire I experience that. I hope you do too. Let's all stand.